I'm sorry, by the way. There's going to be some spoilers. You've had plenty of years to see it. Don't give me any of that. There's going to be some spoilers. So in Avengers Infinity War, the universe in this, in this movie, the universe is facing the biggest threat ever. That's because there's this guy named Thanos. If you don't know who Thanos is, he's the guy with the butt face or he, like ugly face. Can I say that? I said it. It's not even a butt face. It's like a triple butt face or something weird. Um, but Thanos, the guy who's purple, he wants to use these things called the Infinity Stones to wipe out half of all life. Now, if you get into the reason why, it's kind of compelling. Just kidding, I'm not going to go there. Um, but he wants to wipe out half of life. And so, spoiler alert, there's these guys named the Avengers. And despite all of their efforts to try to stop him from getting to the Infinity Stones, it comes to the end of that movie of Infinity War where it's the, like a devastating moment where all of a sudden he just snaps his fingers with all the stones and immediately all of life in the universe is cut in half. You see half of the Avengers, they just start dissolving away like dust in the wind. And in that moment, you can see and sense a feel of hopelessness. That moment, it represents despair and loss. And so right now, if you went to go watch that movie, you can see that moment, and then you can immediately go to the next one and see how the movie ends. But in the moment, like when you're first watching that, you have to wait like a whole nother year to figure out what happened. Is there going to be another one? How are they going to fix it? What's going to happen in the next one? So you feel that sense of hopelessness for a while. But then in Avengers Endgame, the story takes a turn, and the remaining of the, the remainder of the Avengers, the half that's left, they refuse to give in to the hopelessness. And they're driven by a sense of hope and determination. And at one point, Captain America, you know, Steve Rogers, he stands up and he says, I know it's crazy, but I have this feeling that there is something more that we need to do. And so in that moment, he has hope. And his hope, it sparks hope for the rest of the Avengers. And it gets them on a path. And so in this movie, you see them facing obstacles and despair. And you see them facing suffering. But they have a hope that it is going to turn out. And that drives them and that motivates them to keep pushing through all of the obstacles that they have. Because they never lose hope. And in the end, and this is another spoiler, in the end, all of their hope pays off. They end up defeating Thanos, and they bring back all of those who are lost in the snap. And so this is a story where hope is prevailing over despair. It's because they believe the possibility of the future is going to be better than their present reality. Like the Avengers that were left, they're like, there has to be a future that is better where we can fix this. And that is what got them through the sense of hopelessness in that moment where half of the world was gone. And that is honestly, if we think about our story, like that is our story. That is the story that we find ourselves in today. Because in life, there is going to be many times when it seems like life is way darker than it should be. And there's going to be times whenever we feel like it is hopeless and that there's nothing that we can do to get out of it. And tonight, Peter, he's going to tell us why that doesn't have to be the case. So how many of you guys have your Bibles with you? Go and open up to the first chapter of First Peter. Uh, remember, original title for uh, a book. First Peter. So last week, we opened up the first two verses of First Peter. So just a little recap. 
Peter told us who he was writing to in those first two verses. He said he was writing to those chosen living as exiles. So basically, Peter, he's writing to Christians in the Roman Empire that were on the fringe of society for whatever reason. We don't know if they followed Jesus and not put them on the fringe, but whatever the reason was, they're Christians now, and that did not help their case. And so they're social outcasts. They had no friends. They suffered as Christians because they followed Jesus. That's the bottom line. And, but what people think of us, and this is true for us, and this is what we talked about last week, what people think of us or whenever we suffer for following Jesus, in the end it doesn't matter because of who God says we are. The world is going to make us feel like exiles, like we're all far off. But God before that, he says you are chosen. We are chosen by God to be obedient by Jesus, by the power of the Spirit. And Peter's going to say, like, you're chosen by God for salvation. And we're going to see that in this week and especially in next week, that salvation that we're chosen for is going to lead to suffering. Like they go hand in hand. Like you can't have salvation without suffering. And Peter's going to tie those together, especially next week. But today we're going to be in verses 3 through 5. So we are powering our way through this book. Uh, so First Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So Peter the first thing that he does in this is, is worship. Peter begins this section by worshiping God. He starts and he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's starting off, he says, this is a time for worship. I know I'm writing to those chosen, living as exiles, but let's take a second and worship. And so worship, whenever you think about that word, like worship isn't just what we do in here before I preach. Like it's not just the music part. We can worship God through music and through singing, but worship, when we really bring it down, worship is just you ascribing worth to something, right? Like we all worship something. We all have things that we feel have value or worth. And as soon as we think this thing is, is worth something, we're, that, that constitutes as worship. So worship is more than just singing songs. It's ascribing worth to something. And so we can worship through music, but we can also worship through preaching, through, through praying, through declaring God, and by living our life. And so the reason that Peter starts this off with worship is the salvation in new birth that we get from God. Like basically, if we could summarize what Peter's saying, he's saying like, bless God, like worship and praise God because he has given us new life because of his mercy and his grace. And this new life is for a living hope. It's not a dead hope. It's not an unbiased hope, but it is a living hope. And he says our hope is alive because Jesus rose from the dead. And that new life is into an imperishable unstained and unfolding inheritance that is in heaven. Bless God. I praise God. This is something that we should be worshiping about. So remember who Peter is writing to. He's writing to Christians that are on the fringe of society who are facing real suffering. And he says, 
even know, like this, I, I know who I'm writing to, I know the experience we have, but let's take a second and let's worship God for the salvation and the new birth that he has given us. And so what we see here is actually Peter's first summary of the gospel or the good news. The good news that Peter tells us about, it's not just what Jesus did for us on the cross. A lot of times we talk about the gospel, the good news, and we stop there. We say like Jesus died for our sins and that is the gospel. And that is a huge part. Like whenever we nailed our sins to the cross and we talked about the crucifixion, like that is a powerful and important part of the, the gospel story. But Peter doesn't stop there. It's what Jesus did after he died. Whenever he rose again and then was exalted to the right hand of God. And now he rules and reigns as king over the universe. And the result of that for those who submit to Jesus as their king is his mercy. Like that's the natural result of because Jesus died and rose again from the dead and because he's seated at the right hand of God, he is able to offer us mercy, which brings new birth and which brings new life and a new life now and a new life that we can look forward to. So that's kind of Peter's train of thought. We are going to worship God. We can bless God because Jesus died. He rose again. And because of that, he can offer us mercy from our sins. And that gives us a new life, a second chance, which gives us a living hope. And ultimately, like that is what Peter is boiling down to, is to a living hope. Hope, if we can define it, hope is an expectation of a future experience that is better than our experience now. Like, that's not an official definition. Like, I didn't find anywhere. That's just how I interpret it. But think about even with the Avengers in that story. Like, they were driven by a hope that there is going to be a future better than it is right now, and that is what pushed them to find that hope is an expectation that there was going to be a better day than today. That is the most basic definition. Remember who Peter's writing to? He's writing to an exiled in a dispersed church that is under a ton of persecution and suffering. Think about how hopeless those people could have felt if they allowed themselves to stay in that situation. They were exiled. They were alienated. And because they chose to follow Jesus, they could have lost their family. Their family could have disowned them. They could have lost their inheritance that they would have had. Like that was a big deal is getting that inheritance and passing that on. They could have lost their friends. They could have lost their property. Everything they could have known and find comfort and safety and security in the world, they could have lost because they were following Jesus. But even if they didn't lose those things, their new life of following Jesus, it definitely affected their social status where they weren't thought of as how highly seen they were before they followed Jesus. And so they had every right to feel hopeless and based on the worldly circumstances alone. Like if they just thought about who they were in the world, they had every right to feel hopeless because there was no hope to be found in those things. But Peter's main reason for hope is based on the future kingdom of God. Like the kingdom of God that's going to come when Jesus comes back to earth and he rules and reigns. He says that is the basis for our hope. Like the kingdom of God, whenever we talk about that, this is where it can get kind of confusing because the kingdom of God is already, but the kingdom of God is also not yet. Like the kingdom of God is here and now, 
But the kingdom of God has not yet fully come. So we're somewhere in between of the kingdom of God. And that's because when Jesus came, like the very first time he came 2,000 years ago, he started the reign of God. Like the kingdom of God came when Jesus came. He began to preach that the kingdom of God is now here. And then he started to do the things that are going to happen in the kingdom of God. Like that's when the kingdom of God started. But at the same time, we know that the kingdom of God is not all the way here. And so all the things that, that Jesus promises in, in the heaven, the kingdom of God, we can experience those things today. Like think about it, like the life and the joy and the peace and all the things that are available in the kingdom of God, that is available to us here today. But we also know like it's not fully here. Like we know it's not all the way here yet because things are not as they should be. So those two things are true at the same time. It's a tension in the Bible. That the kingdom of God is here. It's living inside of you. You can have all the joy and peace and love in the world that heaven has to offer. But at the same time, we're living in a world that's not the kingdom of God. Evil still exists. Death still exists. There's still pain. There's still suffering in the world. Those things are opposite of the kingdom of God. But they're still here. But one of the hope that we have is that one day the kingdom of God will come in full when Jesus returns and it will be fully established on earth as it in heaven. And when that day comes, this is what it says in Revelation, it says he will wipe every tear from their eyes and death will be no more and grief and crying and pain will be no more because the things, the previous things have passed away. And so think about like who Peter is and who he's writing to in this time. Peter is writing to encourage suffering Christians to tell them that the pain they face now will not always be. The suffering that you face now is not always going to be the case. The future is bright. Maybe not in this life right now, but in the next it will be. Therefore, we can have a living hope. We can have a living hope, and it's alive. He calls it a living hope twofold because Jesus is alive. He says he, he rose from the dead, but also because we have new birth. So because Jesus is alive and because we are now alive, like we are recreated, because of those two things, like it, it makes sense that it is now a living hope. It's going to live on into eternity. Therefore, our hope, it's not baseless. It's not dead like that of the world. Like, think about the things the world has to put their hope in. The things the world has to put their hope in, like, honestly, like, they're never going to fully satisfy. They're, they're, it's a dead hope. Like, money is going to fade away. Everything is going to fade away. There's nothing on this earth that we can put our hope in that is ever truly going to stay here. But Peter says we have a living hope. It's alive based on the future that cannot and will not be taken from us. The inheritance or the salvation that we receive, it is imperishable, Peter says in verse 3. And that means imperishable, it means it won't expire like the milk that you have in your fridge. Like if you put milk in your fridge, you put fruit in your fridge, you leave it there for a long time, you come back in a month, like it's going to be perished. Like it's, like it's not an imperishable thing. Unlike, I guess, honey. Like I think honey can stay on the shelf forever. Honey's imperishable, thank God. Um, but things on the earth, like it's going to be imperishable. Our salvation is imperishable. Another word he used, it, it is undefiled. 
That means it is unstained. It is pure. That means the salvation, the inheritance we have, it's not ever going to become impure. Like you think about it, if you get white shoes, like, like my white shoes, the second you take them on the box and put them on, they're immediately stained forever, right? There's no way to keep them clean. Like, yes, like that, like that, like this. Every time, coffee stained, yep, that's going to happen. But our salvation, it is undefiled. And then it's unfading. That means it is not ever going to fade away. Like it's not going to be fleeting. Like the, the fun you have in the moment, that's going to be fleeting. But the salvation we have, it is unfading. In the things of this world, the things of this world, they are perishable. The things of the world, they will expire. They are defiled. They are going to fade away. There's nothing on this earth that is truly going to last, but not our inheritance. That's a fancy word that Peter uses, not our salvation. It is not that way. There's nothing that we could do to earn that salvation, and there's nothing that we can do to lose it, and there's nothing anyone can do to take it away from you. It is yours in Christ. Another reason that we can have a living hope, Peter says in verse 5, is because of the power of God. In verse 5, he says, You are being guarded by God's power through faith, for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So Peter, he's basically saying like, because of God's mercy and grace alone, new birth is an option for us. That means salvation through new birth is available because Jesus rose from the dead, is now seating at the right hand of God. And now let's think about that in the terms that we know. Like remember, like there's nothing you can ever do to make God love you anymore. And there's nothing you ever do to make God love you any less. He already loves you more than you can possibly imagine. Like, that's true. But the same is true for salvation when you are living in Christ. It cannot be taken away from you because you are good or bad. It's not going to be given to you even more because you are good. Salvation in Christ is there for you no matter what. Nobody can take it away. Nobody, what someone says about you, what someone does to you, no matter how much you suffer, it can't be taken away. The only condition that God gives us is faith. It says you're being guarded by the power of God through faith for a salvation. The only condition God gives about our salvation that is undefiled, that is unfading, is faith. There is no salvation apart from faith. That's the only condition that God gives. There's no salvation apart from faith. And what Peter had in mind, whenever he used the Greek word for faith, it's so much more than just a mental belief about, like, it's so much more than just thinking something to be true. What Peter had in mind was the, the closest term that we have is allegiance. Faith is 100% allegiance. And you guys, you guys have heard that word before. It, like, have you guys ever said like the Pledge of Allegiance? Like, I pledge allegiance to the flag. Like, that is basically what the word faith means. Like, it's, it's loyalty. It is dedication. It is commitment to Jesus as king of the universe. And then consequently, the king over your own life. Like, faith as allegiance, it is a ride or die commitment. Like, you guys know what that means? Like a ride or die commitment. It's faith is squad loyalty. I, you guys don't know what I'm talking about because I don't know what I'm talking about. I just looked up different ways to say that that you guys might know. 
Um, squad loyalty. That's one of the things that ChatGBT told me to say about that. Um, faith is not just, whenever you think about that word faith, we think it's just blind trust. It, it, it's a belief in something we hope is true, right? But faith is so much more than just the mental part of it. It's so much more than believing something without seeing. Faith is initially that mental agreement that in your mind you believe Jesus is king. So follow me along. Like you believe, like I believe Jesus died. I believe he rose again. And now I believe he is king of the universe, which means that if you believe that, then you confess him as your Lord and Savior. And what that means, like you confess allegiance. You pledge allegiance to him. You say, Jesus, you are now the Lord of my life. And then when you do that, the natural consequence should translate to living a holy life that is in complete surrender to his kingdom and his way of life. Like that's what Peter means when he uses that word faith. You believe Jesus is who he says he is, which means you confess who he says he is, which means your life is then going to live the way you say you believe. Jesus expects a life that is modeled after his that's what Peter already said in verses 1 and 2. He says, you are chosen to be obedient to Jesus. And then in a couple weeks, we're going to see that Peter's going to man that we live holy lives. Like that is inseparable from following Jesus. It's living a life that is modeled after his. That's what faith means. It's not just believing so what does this allegiance look like? What does this faith look like? It looks like staying committed to Jesus no matter what life throws at you. It looks like living as a new person, as a new creation who has experienced a new birth. It looks like living in hope even whenever the world around you is crashing down. It looks like living a holy life that looks like Jesus even though you're going to be persecuted and made fun of for it. It looks like living and walking and trust in Jesus, like really believing that Jesus is Lord over the universe and all things are in his control. And that's because the hope that we have is living we serve a living God, and our salvation is waiting for us. He says it's, it's kept in heaven, and it's undefiled, and it is unfading. So now we got to that point. Like, that is what Peter is saying here. Now, what does it mean for us today? Like, wa our walking around everyday living life, walking around broken air, walking around creative. What does this mean for us today? Paul in 2 Corinthians, he writes in, in 2 Corinthians 4, he says, Therefore do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And this is a verse that I would encourage you to write down, take a screenshot, memorize it. This is one of those verses that you need to know. As apprentices of Jesus, as followers of Jesus, we do not give up. 
Whenever trials and, and suffering come, we do not give up. Whenever temptation comes and you feel that desire to feed your flesh in whatever the form that looks like, we do not give up. Whenever thoughts of self-harm or thoughts of suicide enter into your mind, followers, we do not give up. When suffering comes, and it will when you follow Jesus, we do not give up. When we lose friends, whenever we lose status, whenever we lose opportunities in our life because we're being bold in our faith, we don't give up. The Christians that Peter was writing to and the Christians that even Paul is writing this to, they were facing intense suffering. Paul, he, he literally says that, he says, whenever your outer person is being destroyed, that means like literally like whenever your physical body is getting beat up and whipped and flogged, like it's literally being hurt because you're following Jesus. He says none of that matters because your inner person is being renewed day by day. Even though your physical body might be getting destroyed, our inner person is getting renewed. And that is because God is faithful no matter what. No matter what life throws at you, no matter what you think you might be facing, no matter what you're facing internally, God is faithful to you. He is your rest. And he will continue to renew you day by day as you live in him. Like when you choose to follow Jesus, and maybe your friends might say something weird about you. You might lose friends. You might have your family say something weird about you. God is faithful. And he is your rest. So what do we do with that? What do we do? We focus on him. God is the object of our living up. Jesus is the object of our living up. And so we don't put things in this world that are seen and temporary, like money or status or fame, or just trying to be the most popular at school or just try to get attention. Like we don't put our hope in those things because he says what is seen is temporary. Now, how do you know what is seen? Open your eyes, you look at it, that's how you know it is seen it's temporary. The things we feel, the, the material possessions that we have, money, even power, even status, all of those things are temporary. But what is eternal? What are things of value? What are things that are going to last? It's the things that are unseen. It's the things you can't see. It's the following Jesus. And so whenever we put our things, we put our things that, on, that are unseen because those are the things that will last. Matthew, you want to go ahead and come up? Make me sound magical. But for real, God is a God of mercy. We skipped over that part in the beginning kind of for, for explanation now. God is a God of mercy, and that mercy is necessary. I don't want to skip past it. Peter, he starts off with worship. He says, Blessed be the God of our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. Whether this is your first time you've ever heard the gospel, or maybe it's even your thousandth time hearing the gospel, we are all in need of mercy and second chances. Every single one of us, we are in need of God's mercy. We are in need of salvation. There's not one of us in this room and there's not one of us in this world that is in not 
in need of salvation from Jesus' death. And so trying to think that any of us are good enough to earn salvation, like I'll just get my act together and I'll, I'll earn, like I'll be good enough. That's like trying to think like, ah, I got pretty good verticals. I can, I can jump pretty high. I'm going to jump to the moon. Like, no, like that's, that doesn't compute. Like no one in the right mind would think I can jump high so I can jump to the moon. That is the same way God looks at us when we think we can earn salvation when we think we can do it on ourselves. Like he says, no, that doesn't compute. You can't do that. We are all in need of God's mercy. And so the only logical thing we could do is to humble ourselves every single day and fall on our knees and receive God's mercy every day. And the result of that because Jesus died, because he is now sitting at the right hand of God, ruling over the universe, he offers you mercy. He forgives your sins. He died so your sins can be forgiven. And he gives you new birth. He gives you second chances. And he gives you living hope. We can have hope today. We can walk with joy today. Because we know tomorrow is going to be better because of Jesus. We know that there's going to be a time to come that is going to be better. Here's what Paul says about faith in Jesus. In Romans 10, he says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart, you you have allegiance in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. One believes in the heart resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with your mouth resulting in salvation. So whenever we go in this moment, remember, believing it's not just something you do with your mind and leave it there. If you believe in Jesus and you confess him as your Lord, your life will be lived in light of that.